0: listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WBET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. The National Park Service is more than 100 years old, and this year marks the 100th anniversary of Michigan State's parks. Attendance at both state and national parks is up, but the National Park Service hasn't planned for or recognized how the world has changed in recent decades, and that is putting the future of these parks at risk. Recognizing the importance of telling the public about the National Park Service's funding deterioration and uncertain future, Dr. Gil Lusk decided to write a book. Dr. Lusk is a retired National Park Service employee with 35 years of experience. He's also the author of National Parks, Are Living National Treasures, A Time for Concern. Dr. Gil Lusk, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Stephen, I'm glad to be on, and uh, thank you very much for having me.
0: So th- there's this kind of paradox, I think, uh, at, at play when you talk about national parks these days. They are becoming more and more popular every year, uh, but we also are not doing what we should be doing to make sure that they are there for the future and future generations, but also not making sure that they are what they could be, even if they are there. In other words, investing in the idea of change and innovation in these parks were really far behind. Uh, That paradox really was part of the inspiration for your book.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely correct in the term in in the sense that in 1916, the world was a different place to live and work in and the parks were a new philosophy uh, and it is a philosophy a new concept to america and eventually to the world in the intervening time things have changed substantially in terms of the popularity of the parks which now sustain an annual visitation of almost the population of the of the country and uh, the closeness of uh, outside cities and towns uh, to the parks and park areas uh... which is not a negative it's just a factor that has occurred and uh, also to the uh... extreme value of having a national park service site in your neighborhood uh... there was a time when parks were viewed as somewhat of a problem because again un- unlike some federal resources we don't provide for hunting or we don't provide for timber or mining or any of the other extractive uh, or negative impacts and so, you know, we, we were just kind of uh, out on left field. Well, we're no longer in left field because uh, some $83 billion a year comes to the cities and towns uh, of the United States who have park service areas in their neighborhood. Uh, that's coming from all those visitors that are coming in. Well, those visitors, lovely and uh, wonderful as they are, uh, are putting pressures on the parks that they have not seen in the past. And unfortunately, in, in my humble view, uh, and with all due respect, uh, these issues are not going to be responded to by politicians or by the executive branch of government. Uh, they are used to and uh, very comfortable with having uh, these resources under their guidance. And in effect, uh, over the last 20 years, uh, I've seen a tremendous increase in the political, politicalization of uh, the resources and the management of those resources. And this, can't, this just can't go on. The, like the Smithsonian, like, uh, like other uh, valuable uh, areas within our country, the parks are treasures, and they can't be treated like rubber bands and pushed back and forth over time, or they're just going to break apart. Uh, and uh, the, the pressures to have some of those resources break apart will increase, uh, because, again, we're sitting on valuable lands and territories and other things that in the future, uh, in the in the years of our grandchildren, are going to seem even more valuable.
0: Hmm. Uh, talk about how you got involved in the National Park Service.
1: Well, I, I was in college at the time, Gettysburg College in Pennsylvania, and was a, uh, an American history major and basically was wondering uh, what I was going to do as an American history major. Uh, And along came an announcement for a program called Student Trainee uh, with the National Park Service. So between my freshman and sophomore year, I started working within the Park Service, and uh, went full-time in 1965 when I graduated. Um, The the experience that I had in my summers at the Castillo de San Marcos in St. Augustine, Florida, and Colonial in Virginia. Uh, were instrumental in making me feel very good about a career in public service and in the national parks, which uh, the, the national park system is a unique system in, in government, and uh, it was uh, has always been a challenge for me and uh, just a just a real love. When uh, uh, back in the 90s, I retired in 1997. Uh, back in the 90s, it was evident that the organization was not preparing for its future. Uh, it was uh, being uh, basically managed, uh, in a sense, for the past and not for the future. Uh, there are a lot of things coming up in the future, increased visitation, impacts. Um, you know, some of the things going on at Yellowstone, for, just as an example, you're reading in, in today's, uh, not today, but uh, in recent uh, publications about uh, bison attacking cars, uh, about uh, children being thrown over the backs of animals. Uh, that, is, that is, there are repercussions there that are going to continue, and how we manage those and how we deal with those uh, in the local and, and national uh, scene, on the national scene, will be critical to our future. We can't just keep reacting to situations like that. We need to proactively plan for them, understand they're going to happen, and be prepared to deal with them in a, a not a positive way, in the sense of having somebody injured, but in a positive way in terms of well, you know why something happened uh, and it and how it might have been prevented. Mm. Uh, you know, it's uh, no go ahead, Stephen.
0: Yeah, I, I wonder if you can address a little more fully these. Funding sustainability questions around the National Park Service. What are we what are we doing wrong?
1: Well, for the past uh, well for for the past almost uh, three decades, uh, let's call it two and a half, um, the superintendents of national parks have been advised that uh, they were limited in what they could request in terms of budgets. Um, they did, they did not have the freedom to indicate where there were serious problems occurring uh, or other factors uh, uh, within a certain values. Well, that's been going on for a long time. So now, basically, uh, the Congress has allowed for the National Park Service to be $12 billion in debt, so to speak. By in debt, I mean our resources are in debt. They are being uh, some – we have historic structures that are – uh having damage done uh, we have natural resources that we are having problems with and uh, need additional help we have a uh, a very dedicated staff of employees uh which at one time was 28,000 uh, for uh, 486 park service areas and has now been reduced to 18,000 we have 220,000 volunteers who are trying to make up the difference uh for the lack of uh personnel who uh, work uh, either part-time or full-time for us. And so these are reductions that have occurred, and this $12 billion is not being addressed, and we're suffering from that. We're suffering from, again, a lack of understanding uh, that parks are not just simply areas that they're natural. Well, yes, they are natural, but the people using them and the visitation, the infrastructure... Is not necessarily natural and it needs attention.
0: This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson and my guest is Dr. Gil Lusk, a retired National Park Service employee with 35 years of experience, mostly serving as a superintendent of several national parks. He's also the author of a book. National parks are a living treasure, a time for concern. We're talking about the state of our national parks and the underinvestment that we have subjected them to over a long period of time, how we turn that around and preserve this wonderful natural resource for generations to come. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us what are your national park memories. Do you have a national park that is a favorite, one that maybe you go to each year to revisit and discover new things about? Also tell us about our state parks here in the city or in the state of Michigan, uh, a, a state that has incredible, incredible state parks, especially as you get further up north uh, in the Lower Peninsula and, of course, in the Upper Peninsula. Is there one of those that's your favorite? Uh, also, what do you think of the idea of supporting these parks a little better, both at the state and the national level? How should we do that? How should we find the money to make sure that we're investing in these treasured spaces? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313 Five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the into the conversation. Uh, tell us again what is your favorite uh, national or or state park. Um, before we get to callers, uh, Dr. Lusk, I want to ask you about some of your favorite spaces in terms of national parks. You're somebody who knows this system better than most people. What are the places that draw you back over and over again?
1: Well, two of my uh, most favorite uh, parks in the continental United States would be uh, Glacier National Park in Montana and Big Bend National Park in uh, Texas, mm-hmm. both of them on uh, international boundaries and uh, both of them very exciting resources uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, they are uh, undoubtedly my favorites, and then there are the historical sites, uh, the cultural sites, uh, Mesa Verde in Colorado, and uh, and others, which are exciting places as well. And Stephen, may I say that you know the book doesn't uh, is not a solution to the issues that I'm raising and the concerns that I'm raising. Mm-hmm. What is a solution, in my view, is uh, we we we're not going to get solutions from the congress and from the executive branch what we need is a new form of national commission made up of people who are cognizant of national parks their values and uh... their concerns uh... to really sit down and evaluate and review where the national park Service is today where it will be in a number of decades uh, what are the issues that we're going to be facing that have to become that we have to come to grips with how do we fund the future of the national parks how do we deal with the twelve billion dollar deficit in infrastructure uh... is there some way to do that uh... these are these are issues that need to be responded to not by one person not by a politician or a secretary of interior uh... but by a group of people who are really committed to the future of the parks uh... and uh... willing to really come together and uh, create some solutions for recommendations to the Congress today. Mm.
0: Uh, again, 313 577 1019 is the number on the phones. Call and tell us about your favorite national parks, your favorite state parks here uh, in the state of Michigan. Uh, Dr. Lusky, I wonder if you can talk about the relationship between the National Park Service and the U.S. Forest Service.
1: Uh, the relationship, uh, you know, it's a it's a longstanding one. The national, the U.S. Forest Service, the national forests uh, were created back with Pinchot and Teddy Roosevelt uh, around 1903 ish, and the National Park Service in 1916. Um, we have different missions. Uh, the Forest Service is to basically uh, is created for a wise use of resources uh, on federal lands, which includes timber, mining, and other factors. Whereas the parks are isolationist in the sense of preservation and protection of all things, um, the, today the best neighbor that a park could have is a national forest, hmm. uh, and uh, the requirements are the requirements should be that forest supervisors and park superintendents uh, are brothers in arms, so to speak. Uh, they are both concerned with the resources of a region of an ecosystem and uh that concern is not counter uh, or counterproductive or conflicting it is uh basically uh a, a symbiotic relationship mm-hmm. uh we're we we're not necessarily managing in that direction yet but i do believe that <clears throat> there's no there's no choice but that in the future we will be when I was at Glacier, we worked very closely with the Flathead National Forest and Lewis and Clark National Forest, and that resulted in some very good uh, activities and uh, some very good programs uh, that benefited both the forest and the park. In, in today's world, or in yesterday's world, if somebody were to talk about it favorably about the Forest Service uh, in the park, uh, they would be suspicious and paranoid about the fact that somehow they were after our trees. <laughs> um, that is just simply no longer true. It, it, ever, it never was true. At the local scene, it's been interesting because the Forest Service uh, was, when they were created, the lands put aside in the national forests are still will will still pay taxes to local communities. Uh, So they're taxable lands. They have not been removed from taxation. And those lands are available for hunting and other uses uh, on a much wider front than in the national parks. Mm -hmm. Along came the Park Service, and the Park Service over time became a national, international favorite uh, with visitors from outside of a local area and the local area does not receive taxes from park lands, uh, nor is it allowed to hunt and do certain other things in the parks. So y- you have a dichotomy that has occurred over 100 years. And now the, the challenge is to break that down and basically say, uh, it doesn't matter which or what, uh, we are together in an ecosystem, and we need to do work. And in Montana, uh, we achieve that with such things as the interagency Grizzly Bear Committee and other organizations, uh, all of which eventually break ground and create an understanding that we have to do it together. Hmm. Uh,
0: again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number. I'm going to get to come, some of these callers here with their favorite parks. Earl in Ferndale. Earl, welcome to the show. Hi. Um, hey. Good morning, Stephen. I, I uh, had an opportunity to spend some time at Yellowstone and Teacons this year, but
1: we also went up to our rail which is, of course,
0: that's here in Michigan, um, yeah. Yes, right, but barely in Michigan, and it was an arduous, arduous trip to just physically get there. I was going mean, to say, it's hard it's to, a to get there. The long drive, the ferry, once you get there, it's spectacular, but it just seems like it's, it's grossly underused because it's so difficult to get there. And I wonder whether the parks, you know, you have too many people in Yellowstone and not enough people in RRL, and I wonder what the <laughs> parks could <laughs> do. To make something like our rail more accessible. Well, that's a great question, uh, Doctor Lusk. I've got just a, a couple seconds left, but
1: uh... well, I, I have unfortunately a fairly quick answer, which, uh, and that's simply not much. <laughs> um, there are there are state agencies, these state agencies, and others, along with the National Park Service, certainly mm-hmm. provide information out to the public on a, on, a, on a regular stream in terms of the parks and their availability and the things going on in them. Uh, And one thing that uh, we're going to have to get used to, not today and not in the next 10 years, but someday we're going to have to get used to the fact that uh, uh, some parks uh, are going to need to be better used and some are going to need to be less used. Uh, And we're going to have some parks, uh, I believe, that will ultimately have uh, carrying capacities in terms of how many people can you put at Old Faithful on a given day in summer and have it be a meaningful experience? Yeah. Um, yeah. it's That's a question I can't answer, but to me, it's a question that needs to be looked at. Yeah. Uh,
0: we're out of time, but I want to give a shout out to Marianne and Macomb, who's calling to talk about Independence Hall and Constitution Center in Philly, two great uh, parts of the National Park System, and Rebecca in Ann Arbor, who says she just drove to Rocky Mountain National Park with her kids? Uh, you are making lifetime memories for them. Great experiences, uh, yes. all. Okay, Dr. Lusk, thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit today.
1: Stephen, thank you for having me.
0: All right, be sure to tune in tomorrow when we are going to talk with uh, economist Charlie Ballard and Chad Livengood of Cranes Detroit Business about where we are with Detroit's finances. Just years after the bankruptcy. We'll talk again tomorrow on Detroit Today.